to the Educause Integrative CIO Podcast. I'm Jack Seuss, Vice President of IT and CIO at the University of Maryland, Baltimore County. And I'm Cynthia Golden, Associate Provost at the University of Pittsburgh. Each episode, we welcome a guest from in or around higher education technology as we talk about repositioning or reinforcing the role of IT leadership as an integral strategic partner in support of the institutional mission. Today we have a special episode of the podcast, and we're talking with two leaders from the Educause Young Professionals Advisory Committee. Please welcome Sandeep Sidhu, Chief Information Officer at Emily Carr University of Art and Design in Vancouver, British Columbia, and Tara Hughes, who is Chief Information Officer at California State University Maritime. Welcome to both of you. I have been so looking forward to this conversation since we booked it, Cynthia. And I'm so glad that both Sandeep and Tara are on. Um, Sandeep, could you take a minute and introduce yourself to the audience and tell us how you got involved in YPAC? Thank you, Jack and Cynthia, for the introductions. Um, I started my career in higher ed just um, about 10 years ago, um, primarily. And as I was reflecting back this morning, I realized my first job started in 2002 in IT as a security analyst. And here we are, just replaced that with another two in 2022. A lot has changed. Um, my first role was in security, worked for Citigroup, and that led the very interesting journey for me. I did a number of contracts with private sector, and I was, I think, trying to figure it out for the first two years. Is this the space for me? Um, I wanted to be an architect when I was growing up. Um, and um, then I got into consulting with um, a number of organizations. As you can probably tell by now, I'm from Sydney, Australia. Um, so most of my first career was there. Um, a number of those engagements included private and public sector. And I was drawn to universities because I was always academically quite active uh, when I went to school, did my master's. Um, and part of that, I got a, an engagement to teach, which I absolutely loved. Um, then I decided to get married to a Canadian, moved here. That totally changed everything about my career plan. Ended up in a university um, where they were doing a transition from a college to a university. Great time, a lot of learning. And since then, I've been in higher ed. Um, so that was probably around 2010. And I've held a number of roles. And I think I always keep coming back to the sense of networking and support and, and the community field that exists in higher ed. That's still pulling me back and really enjoying my journey. And I've been at Emily Carr U for about a year and a half as um, CIO. And um, yeah, exciting times. Uh, the little pandemic that we just got out of has taught us a lot. Um, so that's me. Tara, how about yourself? Thank you for these introductions and wonderful to be on this with Sandeep. Um, so my name is Tara Hughes. I am the Chief Information Officer at California State University Maritime Academy. Our academy is the smallest of the 23 California State University schools. Um, 
thinking back kind of to my own journey into higher education, if uh, I take Sandeep's cue and go back to 2002, um, in 2002, I was uh, finishing up my freshman year of college. I got married. Um, always can remember my anniversary because we said I do in 2002. Um, <laughs> so that's handy. Um, and about a year later, got pregnant and started a family instead, uh, dropped out of college for quite a while to be able to raise three beautiful girls. Um, and really, my journey through academia took a very different turn than I was expecting. I didn't get my bachelor's degree until I was 29. Um, all three of my girls got to attend my college graduation. Um, which was really special. I'm a first time, uh, first gen college graduate in my family. So that was really meaningful to finish my education, to set an example for my kids. Um, we ended up moving to be closer to my husband's work at Cal State University Channel Islands in 2014. They had a need um, to manage some student assistance for a call center, happened to be within IT, and so I applied and was hired. Had really no expectation to work in IT or higher ed, it just kind of fell into it. Um, and then over the course of those few years that I've been in higher ed, I really fell in love with the mission of higher education because of the way that it transformed my own life. Um, and provided new opportunities for me um, and, and really being mindful of the opportunities that I wanted my children to have um, and to see what was available to them. Um, working with students was just a game changer for me. I fell in love with the work um, of both the student experience and also technology and really understanding the user experience and coming at it from a really empathetic approach um, because I too was a little bit green in certain areas. Um, and so kind of through my short time in higher ed, I went from managing a call center to managing our help desk to expanding that into shared services and taking on human resources and a couple other spaces. Um, and then moved into um, leading an AI chatbot effort for the campus there. And, um, and then the pandemic hit. And that completely changed my approach for what we were going to do with the chatbot and how to provide help and assistance and support to our students. Um, and then last June, I moved over to Cal State Maritime as the deputy CIO. And uh, in January, I entered in um, currently as the interim CIO um, and am serving in that capacity and, and really loving every minute of it. But it's been um, a, an unexpected journey to say the least. Um, with YPAC, uh, I originally got involved um, because I had a couple different people reach out and say, hey, we really think that you should at least consider this. Um, truth be told, I had submitted to be part of YPAC when it first, first got introduced. And I was brand new in higher ed and I, I did not get a spot um, and learned a lot through that process, but it made me a little shy to enter back into that arena the second time um, and really grateful for mentors and people who said, give it a shot, see, see if it's something that works out for you. We think you have a voice to add. Um, and really being able to be a part of the YPAC community and um, add maybe a different flavor of perspective has been um, a real joy. 
So you've both been involved in a number of professional organizations. And um, I'm curious, since you started to talk about YPAC, Tara, um, how has your involvement helped either of you in, in finding others from our community to connect with? You know, how has this really um, helped your day-to-day work, uh, Sandeep? Um, thanks, Cynthia. Um, I'll start with why I joined YPAC, because I realized I didn't answer that. Um, my funny reason was um, I was told that there is an age cap is for young professionals. I'm like, I've only got a year to go. I better be in this committee. So there we go. And um, and I am loving the work that we're doing in that group. And Tara is one of my peers. Um, I think we um, we do a number of things. And the three that resonate with me, one is the idea of that confidence sharing, supporting each other um, in, in that group. Um, we share some common attributes and some very distinct ones. So the second is a power of network that comes with that. Um, very, very diverse group there. And the last one is um, not reinventing the wheel, which I think exists in higher ed, that community anyway. Um, we, we bounce off lots of ideas as a problem-solving um, group as well. Um, and I've made some really good friends. Um, so, yeah, I will leave it there. Tara, do you have anything to add to what you said about YPAC before and how, how your involvement with it has maybe helped you find community? Yes. Uh, so Sandeep hit some really critical ones. I think to expand a little bit on, on the last one, um, being able to provide perspective not only to each other by expanding our um, diversity of thought and experience and skills um, and just being a support network to one another, but also being able to provide a lens for how to meaningfully um, navigate your career and how Educause really wants to be able to be that support system. But, you know, coming from at least where I was a newbie in higher ed, my first Educause conference back in 2015, I had no clue what I was doing there. I didn't know where to go. I didn't have anyone to talk to outside of my organization for the few people that were there. But, you know, my exposure was mostly, oh, these are CIOs and ISOs, and I don't have anything to do with that. Um, felt just so much lower on the totem pole. And so I think um, kind of going through navigating my own career and wanting to provide maybe a little bit of an easier pathway for young professionals to know how they can be authentic to their own career paths, but really be able to engage and participate in Educause in a way that's really meaningful to whatever their career goals are um, and feel like they do have something to contribute, even if they're young, even if they have um, maybe different experiences, that not everything that's critical is just housed in the, the C-suite, as we like to call it, um, but that we really need that diversity of thought and perspective and engagement and participation at all levels. And I, I love the mission of YPAC in, in that regard. I, I really love the what you both are saying, because I remember the first time I attended um, an Educause event, and I was the only one from my institution going. I didn't know anyone. Um, 
you know, most of the people there were from much larger institutions than mine. And so this idea of how do you make friends? How do you pull yourself in? It's just so important that we're thinking about being a more welcoming community for everyone if if we're going to grow and make sure that this happens. So I, I love what you're all doing with YPAC. Um, one of the things that I'm, I'm really curious about is how do we help people leverage social media as we're thinking about building connections? So historically, when I was coming up, you know, you would email or you might phone people as pre-social media. But now that we have social media, um, we have a whole set of different sort of connections that are coming um, and between LinkedIn, Twitter, et cetera. So Asandeep, I'm going to start with you because I, I love your LinkedIn handle, Lead by Example. And so obviously you've been thinking about this in that context since it goes back a decade almost. It looked like you started that maybe in 2013. How are you thinking about social media and how does that connect into some of the building connections that you're also thinking about through YPAC? And then we'll turn to you, Tara, right after. Excellent question, Jack. Um, I think social media has become a, quite a bit of a dangerous space in, in so many ways where, you know, when you have a very democratic way of providing everyone access to have the ability of opinion, you got to be ready with all sorts of opinions as well. So that's sort of the dangerous side. And then there's the exciting opportunity, the risks are both ways. Um, for me personally, and, and the network that I've connected with, social media presents an amazing opportunity to connect with individuals. We talked about educars. These are physical presence, and then these are virtual space that exists. I met so many people in my first couple of educars conferences by just following them on Twitter. And, and I still continue that. And some people I don't even recognize, uh, but we have, we share some common values. And one of that value is um, sharing experiences and sharing some moments. Um, you could potentially find something that you found very useful that you read that morning and you share it with your network. And it's a great also source of information to validate some of your biases sometimes. I've seen so many people put out questions that I'm thinking to go with, should I be going with green and yellow in my dress? Never do that, <laughs> I've been told. Uh, those two colors don't go. But if you ask Australians, those are two colors, gold and green for us. Um, but anyhow, that's just an example where um, I, I feel there is so much more work to do. And just talking about YPAC, I know that last year, Educause launched a new platform um, that helps us engage differently moving on from email. I think having those internal networks is also very helpful. Um, so there's the outwardly use of social media, but then the internal networks that I find very useful personally. Um, in terms of value, what I really value is the uh, power of network. And I'm going to keep coming back to it because I, I truthfully feel that all of us is better than one of us. And simply that's what social media has enabled us to do. Tara, how about yourself? 
Yeah, I agree. I think, you know, it's interesting to think about social media because some of the, the leaders who have come before us um, grew up where technology was very new in the spaces that they were in. And so there's just a different interaction with social media um, for someone who's 20 to 30 years older than me. Um, for me, I'm, I feel really fortunate to have gone through um, my adolescent years without the, the burden of social media um, and, and some opportunity to um, figure out myself a little bit more before being out there for the world um, in that regard. Um, but for my kids, they're all teenagers in high school. They don't know anything other than technology being as ubiquitous as it is and social media especially. Um, and so I think to some degree, I feel like I have a unique advantage of being in the middle and straddling a little bit of the both worlds where I can see social media as a benefit, but it's not everything to me um, because it, it wasn't always part of my existence. And I think that's been really helpful. Um, one of the things that I think a lot about when it comes to social media for myself with professional development is kind of likening it to a stock portfolio. And if you think of your social media portfolio as wanting to have uh, diversity of options and really curating that identity to make sure that it's consistent, um, but also that it allows for you to be able to engage meaningfully in different spaces, um, I think there's a lot that can be taken away from that. Um, so even when I was doing work with the chatbot, being able to share with groups on LinkedIn compared to Twitter, um, compared to my Instagram, compared to Facebook, like those were all different people groups that I was exposed to and they're exposed to, to what I'm sharing that might not necessarily overlap. Um, so being able to get messaging out in a meaningful way, but being really intentional about it. Um, I think can have huge dividends for your own exposure to um, other possibilities you don't even know exist just yet. Um, and so being very mindful of that, I think a lot of my more recent career growth was um, at least in part due to being able to curate that image um, and, and put myself on the map. I have to say it's very startling to me. And Sandeep kind of mentioned this, like people that I follow on Twitter that I just have like such admiration for in the higher ed space um, to meet them at, you know, a, a conference or whatever. I fangirl, like I get so <laughs> excited to meet these people, right? Cause I, I have such admiration, but then to have someone say, oh, you're the person on Twitter, like that blows my mind. Like, I can't believe that I, I am part of that. That feels like such a tremendous win. I don't know. Um, so I think social media has a lot of benefit, but I do think that there needs to be a lot of intentionality with what you want to get out of it um, and making sure that you're using it in a way that has um, an added benefit. And, and I think that takes some maturity, um, which is why my kids don't have it. Um, but also I think, you know, that experience of really thinking through how do I want to use this as a tool for authentic human interaction um, and benefiting my career and not just something where I'm spouting off random thoughts and ideas. I, I love the way you're thinking about that, Tara. And I, I think that the idea of 
you know, curating your social media like a stock portfolio is is great advice for anybody. Um, and even, you know, I'm thinking about recent college graduates. We're about to have commencement in a few weeks. And, you know, people who are starting out in the world, I think that's a wonderful, wonderful way to think about this. Um, so right now, there's a lot of churn in the workforce, speaking of the people starting out, out new jobs and new roles. And, and I know, you know, we're reading about how people are changing jobs, moving to new industries. I know a number of people in from IT who have left higher ed um, to work in the corporate world. And I guess I'm, I'm interested in what you think about um, how we should, you know, work to attract and to keep IT professionals in higher education. Is, is this something YPAC has discussed or what are your thoughts about it? And let, let's start with you, Tara. That's like the million dollar question. Um, <laughs> I, I think truthfully, it's something that I, and I, in conversation with a lot of colleagues, I think we're still discovering and trying to figure out everything that we can and should be doing in support of attracting and retaining quality um, employees. I think I continue to go back to really trying to have a lens of empathy um, and thinking about what the last two and a half years did. Um, there's a lot of, and, and I feel very unique in this, there's a lot of positive that came out of COVID in spite of some of the, the real challenges. Um, but I think it would be, um, I think we'd be remiss to say that it didn't cause every single one of us to rethink um, our priorities and reassess the way that we spend our time. Um, and I think that that's the, the outcome that we're dealing with now is, you know, as we see people moving over into different opportunities, I think there's a direct correlation between work-life balance, um, different opportunities, maybe wanting to work from home more often because of what it affords them to be able to spend more time with their families. Um, and I think it's something that we're going to have to address one way or another. Um, I, I think the challenge from even, a, you know, a CIO level is that there's only so much agency that we have to be able to support that kind of change. There has to be a broader um, support and desire for some of those changes to really stick. Um, and I think that, you know, seven years ago, me wouldn't have necessarily understood the nuances involved there. Um, so I think I'm learning a, a deep appreciation for those nuances now. Um, but I think Sandeep has probably a little bit more to add because she's been at this a bit longer than I have. <laughs> um, Tara, you're right. It's more than even a million dollars in today's inflation question. Um, I... I I've been at it for some time, but the landscape is incredibly more complex and difficult, I agree, during the pandemic. Um, the two things I've been thinking about, and obviously um, there's so many pressures besides pandemic, the increased inflation and also the competition uh, with the private sector. And by that, what I mean is the pandemic has really drawn attention to um, the digital organizations in the private sector, they're helping uh, the globe sort of survives this pandemic. Um, 
the two areas that I've been looking at, one is we absolutely need to think about how do we continue to invest in our student pipeline? Like we have access to this amazing talent. What are we doing about it? It's beyond um, hiring students to help at the help desk level. I think we need to help mentor and coach them to be leaders and um, help them build an understanding of how attractive it is to actually work at a university and show them those benefits. So, so that's one. And the second one is I think the CIO of today has to spend more time in building learning and development pathways. The amount of time we are sitting in committees to talk about projects, very, very important. Cybersecurity, absolutely important. But how much time of my weekly commitment is actually coaching someone, mentoring someone within my organization and beyond, I would say. And this is where I think groups like YPAC and many other educators all together are incredibly powerful. Um, and I recently saw the Learning Pathways announcement as well, and I immediately sent it to a few folks. I'm like, have a look at this. We don't have to do it alone. And, and here's some great resources. So those are the two things that I'm definitely making a priority for myself, and I hear many others talk about it. The, so, the pathways um, work is terrific, I think. I really do. I am so glad to hear you, though, talk about the student pipeline. And, and so I'm going to sort of comment a little bit first, which is, so I started as a student at UMBC. Um, and now, you know, 42 years later, I'm still here, but, you know, it changed the course of my life. I, I don't think I would have been in technology. I was studying mathematics and doing sort of what would have been, I guess, a minor in computer science, but I didn't really like programming, but I got a job programming in the summer in my junior year. I loved it. It was different than the computer science way of programming, um, interacting with people. And so I think all too often we can change the course of our students' life by thinking about this. And, and so my institution, you know, we're, it's about 60 to 70% of my staff went here. Um, they come through the students. But one of the things we're really talking about now, and I'm curious if either of you are thinking about this, is we've really made a focus of diversifying our student workforce because that's who we've hired historically as students who worked for us and they come in. And I see this as really the long-term way of ultimately beginning to help one of the ways of helping to diversify our IT organizations is by thinking about how we give more opportunities to students um, and then thinking about bringing them on board. I'm curious if you could comment on that, both of you. I'll, I'll let you start, Sandeep, and then Tara. But I'm also um, interested in hearing your thoughts of how we can be thinking more deeply about diversity, equity, and inclusion. And so um, I'd love to hear both of you talk about that as you answer this question. Great. Thanks, Jack. Um, so I'm going to reflect on something that happened earlier this week when I answer the question around diversity first, and then I'll talk about student population. Um, in our town hall, we were just starting to think about um, a strategic plan for the university. There's a journey that we're undertaking. And in our um, IT town hall, we started talking about the values that resonate with us. 
And there were um, a couple of groups that were talking about diversity. And then this was a very interesting perspective that came from my team around diversity versus inclusiveness. I think we've done great work um, in higher ed in building diverse teams. And I'm not saying we're done. I think we've made huge improvements. The thought that came from that group was more around including them at what level of decision making. Mm -hmm. So how do we include our students to not just at that level of answering the questions that are coming at help desk level is do we have students in our committees to help us make those decisions? Are we empowering them? And, and I can right away see us thinking about, oh, maybe they, they are not mature enough. That question comes up all the time. And what is a mature, how do we measure maturity? There is some, there is a lot of value in being naive and just being optimistic and seeing that, but you have to balance both perspectives. Um, and do the reality testing. So um, I think the diversity is um, seen from different backgrounds as well, different perspectives, experiences, cognitive diversity. Um, I've been reading a lot about that as well and how um, it, it, I think it also helps us challenges our biases. I've, um, we've been reading a lot about implicit biases the work that Harvard has done as well. And I think it's um, it's a great opportunity for us to bring in some of those perspectives and start by even assessing where we are. Um, so I see students role in, in so many more ways than having and giving them those summer jobs. Mm -hmm. um, and I think diversity starts uh, from that perspective. Um, our enrollment is changing as well. We are seeing students from different backgrounds, different communities. Our First Nations community is um, becoming a huge importance for us because we feel we need to do a lot more work. Um, so I'm constantly thinking about um, how do we include that within our team? We lack that perspective right now. Um, so, yeah. Tara? I think that is such an important question. And, and I love what Sandeep was talking about the student pipeline. I think um, one of the things that's a little bit easier and more meaningful when you're hiring student workers, um, at least in my experience, was that we were able to expand our what we were looking for so that it, it wasn't just a matter of, you know, technical ability. It was really trying to understand what's their work ethic? How do they problem solve? How do they have teamwork? Um, and those become, I think, more challenging to identify the higher up you go with um, staff um, interviews and things like that. And so if you're if you're doing that at the student level and then have the ability to mentor and coach them along the way, I think there's a lot of meaning there. For me, that meant that we had um, a lot of females compared to when I first took over the help desk at that campus, there was one. Um, so having a lot more diversity just there, but then having performing arts majors and English majors, and these were not IT majors. And I think what was incredible was that we benefited from their unique perspective and approach in problem solving. And they benefited from realizing, I had a number of the girls who would come to me 
and say, I didn't think that I could do technology. And it was empowering to them to be able to learn a skill that they had kind of written off at some point. And, you know, that goes back to the pipeline goes much further back um, than just college, if we're being honest, right? And so, but I think we have an opportunity to try to make some of those corrections at the college level. Um, and, and hopefully be able to influence and allow for expanding their own possibilities in their mind for what they might want to go out and do. Um, I think the diversity of thought and perspective continues to be something that shapes um, every interaction that I'm having. And, you know, we're a small campus, so we have a small lean team. And the importance of if you're not going to have a, a team that's large, because maybe that's just not necessary, to still be able to find ways to get diverse perspectives um, and, and make sure that you're not getting stuck in whatever silo of information that you've um, been exposed to for however long. Um, and, and having that be able then to pivot in directions that previously wouldn't be available to you. And so that when new hires are available, that you might have found that you're looking for someone else entirely different than maybe what you would have been looking for a year earlier, simply because you've been exposed to other colleagues who think differently and problem solve differently. Um, but I do think that it's it's not enough to have the token of diversity and not find ways to meaningfully include them um, in different spaces. And I think that if you can't, there's a campus level and then there's the, the national higher education level of being able to also um, allow for diverse thought and perspective. And so if we are making as many inroads as we can at our campuses, and there's limitations, I think, to some degree, um, but being able to participate in a meaningful way as well on the national landscape by doing mentoring, like with the Educause mentoring platform, for instance, um, and in making sure that at least as much as we can with where we're at, we're trying to make that something that isn't just a token box that we check, um, and then being cognizant of opportunities um, and maybe trying to create opportunities as we go along. But I, I do think that the, the one benefit of the, the, the change in our workforce is that it is allowing for us to maybe rethink the way that we're going to backfill those positions. And it gives us a little bit of a reset um, for having DEI efforts in mind a little bit more meaningfully. Thank you. Cynthia, do you want to jump to the imposter question? Sure, that's the, that sounds good. I, so, so Tara and Sandeep, as we were doing prep for this call, we talked a little bit about imposter syndrome or feeling like you don't belong. And um, Tara, would you elaborate a little bit on what you were saying earlier? Happily, this is like my soapbox. Um, <laughs> So I, you know, I think imposter syndrome is, has gotten a lot of play over the last several years. Um, I obviously didn't invent it, but it, it resonated with me. Um, and one of the things that I think, as I was reflecting last night, thinking about our conversation today, was when I had been asked to submit a proposal to security professionals a few years back, 
you know, my response was, well, why would I do that? I, I run the IT help desk. I don't really have something to contribute there. Um, and kind of immediately wrote myself out of even the possibility of participating. And I had someone push back and say, then you should submit a proposal about that. Um, and the work that kind of ensued when that proposal then got accepted, I wasn't planning on that, um, was, was really transformative for, for me personally, partly because as I dug into imposter syndrome and at least what that meant for me personally, you know, I talked about coming into higher ed, being a mom of three and getting my, my bachelor's degree later on in life. I really struggled with figuring out whether I belonged in this space at all. Um, and so doing the work of figuring that out and really working that out in myself to say, no, I do belong and here are the reasons why. And it's not because I need to be perfect. And it's not because I need to be exactly like this person. I have something unique to contribute and everyone is learning something new every day. Um, and in really doing that work, had I not done that then, I really don't think that I would have been prepared for the roles that came afterwards um, because it, it required a shift in my own identity and the way that I viewed myself and what I was capable of. And the other thing that was just really striking about that was that, you know, traditionally imposter syndrome, and I think you see a lot of articles about how that impacts women and minority groups, and that absolutely is true. But what was so impactful to me was after that initial presentation and a room full of almost all men, it was so many of them coming up afterwards saying, wow, that's me. You articulated something that I felt but didn't know how to say or identify. I felt like an imposter in security for all these years. Um, you know, some were really emotional. And I think it's very it can be very tempting or easy to assume that it's only going to apply to one group of people when really it's something that um, depending on what phase of life you're at and what you know space you're trying to enter, that we all struggle a little bit with trying to figure out, do I belong here? And I think the way that we answer that question is really important. Um, and making sure that you're surrounded by people who can help make sure that you're you're coming to the right answer to that question and that you're doing the work in your own self um, to prepare yourself for opportunities ahead. Um, it, it's a transformative thing, but it very much is something that can't be done alone. That's where mentors, I think, can be incredibly helpful. Sandeep, do you have anything to add? Um, you know, we talked about the power of network and diversity. I think I'm a little bit on the other, I wouldn't say the other extreme in terms of imposter syndrome, but a little bit further out where I felt I can do it. I don't care. Give it to me. I'll figure it out. If I don't know today, I'll figure it out. However, I also have moments. I think we all have a hmm. program to have moments of self-doubt. It's part of our survival is to evaluate risks. What risks are we going to take? that we're comfortable with. Um, so I really appreciate what Tara is saying. I do spend a portion of my sort of thought process and trying to figure out those risks. But my default is I'm going to jump in, even if I don't know how to swim and I'll figure it out. Um, I also wanted to say a sense of belongingness is something 
uh, further to what Tara is talking about, the imposter syndrome comes from when I don't feel a sense of belongingness. And that is so important as part of nurturing, like the, the way nature nurtures we are programmed to nurture ourselves or the community around us comes from feeling belonging. And I think um, for me, that's very important. The moment that's there, I'm ready to take on any challenge. Um, yeah. Interestingly, I think that's where organizations like Educause really help. I know for me, my sense of belongingness to higher education came through the professional organizations in, in the early days. Yeah, no, I, uh, it was interesting. Cynthia and I were talking the other day and, and I mentioned just how important she was actually when she was at Educause in helping to sort of give me confidence to try to do things. Um, when I was coming from a small institution that really um, wasn't well known nationally and I got to do, you know, be on a program committee for one of the regionals that we had at the time, um, it, it gives you a chance to demonstrate and show confidence. And so um, I think, you know, this is something that everyone feels and, and I loved your, uh, your comment, Tara. And Sandeep, I, I agree with you that, you know, all too often, um, I think we need to be feeling like we've got the comfort and support to take that risk um, that we have. And hopefully uh, this will be something that uh, more people are, are prepared to do. As we think about the closing this up, um, how would you like to see us work within the community at, at Educause to be bringing more people in. We've talked a little bit, but you know, I don't think we do enough of bringing people early in their career into the community of Educause. And, and what are some ways that you both might see us trying to do that? Uh, Sandeep, could you go first and then Tara? Happy to, and, and I'll just say, it's been such a great opportunity to talk to everyone here today. Um, so thank you for organizing this. I think my, my hope is that we can do two things and give ourselves a timeline. Um, by that time, we're gonna get it done. Um, one is how do we include our student community within Educause? I think that is absolutely critical that we do that sooner than later. So there's an Educause conference happening this year. What are we going to do? So that's one for me. Um, and I'll challenge others to join in. And the second would be, I think, the importance of mentorship that Tara and I think everyone talked about here. How do we pay it forward? I am here because there have been several mentors and coaches I am the product of them and I have to pay it forward. That's why I'm at YPAC. That's why I'm in other communities as well. So I feel a sense of ownership and duty. Um, so yeah, those would be my two. Sarah? I don't know that I could say it better, to be honest. Um, I, I totally agree. I think the student component is a missing perspective that would add a lot of uh, value and richness to the way that we're um, having those conferences and kind of the, the conversations that are being had. And, and I think, again, there's a mutual benefit. Um, 
I think, you know, for me, it, she, Cindy literally said what I was going to say. I am the product of what so many people have done and poured into me um, that I do feel a responsibility to pay that forward. Um, and I feel genuinely overwhelmed at the kindness and generosity of people who have taken the time to support me and my growth and my success. And just, I don't even know that I would have made it this far, even in deputy CIO and CIO without the, the help and support and guidance and mentorship from so, so many people. Um, and I think that as we see so many of our leaders retiring and moving on, um, it's up to us to step up and really make sure that we have um, more than enough replacements for pouring into to people who follow after us. Um, the other thing that I think that we started to do last year at Educause, and I really loved, and so I'd like to expand, we had a YPAC space, like a physical space. Um, and it was, it was fun. It was fun to be there and make a little bit of noise and um, attract people to our area. Not everyone who came to visit us were YPAC. It were people, it was people who were coming, how can I support YPAC? CIOs and ISOs and upper admins um, really wanting to understand the mission of YPAC and how to support young professionals. Um, and so I would love to see that continue to grow and really foster that because I think it makes a big difference. I remember my first Educause seeing the, the CIO lounge um, and being like, ooh, what's in there? Um, and so, <laughs> you know, I think being able to create a space where, you know, young professionals as it's, you know, this gargantuan conference of giving them a place where they can connect and network um, both with other young professionals, but maybe even setting up like those brain dates, um, but really trying to make meaningful connections for them there. I think that in-person element is much easier to then carry over um, across social media and, you know, the distances that we all inevitably have if you're able to have that interaction in person at, at first. So I'd love to see that um, continue to grow. So I'm going to take Sandeep's challenge. She wants action items and say that uh, as we close this pan, this uh, uh, podcast, my action item to all the peers that are listening is if you're a CIO, identify someone young with high potential in your organization and bring them along to Educause and help get them involved with YPAC and the other things and spend some time with them to be helping them get acquainted with the community. You'll be paying it forward for years to come. Thank you both. This was a wonderful talk. I really appreciate it. Um, so Cynthia, do you have anything you want to add? It's just been terrific to talk with both of you, and um, I look forward to seeing you at an Educause event one of these days.